You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjax.com. You got to turn me down because I can get excited and people will be deaf by the end of this talk. This is week 12, folks. 12 weeks where I've been able to focus on a topic, which is an amazing, amazing thing. Talk about growing up before your very eyes. Fortunately, discipleship is so broad, I could speak on theodicy in the book of Job and make it discipleship. I don't even know what that means, but anyway, I could do it. Um, But you know, you might be thinking, you're tired of hearing about discipleship, probably. I don't know. Maybe you are, maybe you're not. But, um, But when I was thinking about this, you know, in terms of discipleship, in terms of things that should make us exciting, excited, things should fire us up, this is it. This is what we believe is the end all. We believe that being like Jesus gives us the best opportunity, the best chance of finding life to the full, of of having an exciting life. And the reason we keep talking about it is because it's a difficult journey. It's something that just doesn't happen. It's discipline ship. It requires discipline. And it's hard for us to believe that anything that requires discipline could be fun, could be exciting could be filled with joy, could be filled with life. And many of us, I think, are in a place in our life, if you're like me at different times, where you're like, man, joy, excitement, fun? Are you kidding me? All I feel is burden and stress and worry and guilt. I mean, how am I ever going to get there? And the answer is discipleship. The answer is becoming and being more and more like Jesus because he wasn't like that. He was perfect. He had a perfect life, and he wasn't stressed. He wasn't worried. He was perfectly in tune with what his father was doing. Perfectly in tune with life. The best example, he says that he's the author of life. Just this week, I spoke with someone who um, has just recently become kind of reignited in their relationship with Jesus. And uh, I've been meeting with them off and on for about two months. And just kind of listen, I don't say anything. I just kind of listen to their journey. And we were praying, or he was praying and saying, man, I just feel like this job, I mean, I'm not happy, I'm being, you know, it's just a bad situation, but there's a lot at stake here for different reasons, and I really can't talk about that now. Um, But uh, it was just, it was a mess, it was really a mess. And so he started praying, Lord, show me a way out of this. And his desire was really wanting to be more like Jesus. He was really wanting to be obedient, and there was this corrupt things going on, this, that, and the other, but he had to provide for his family, uh, his family was involved with him in the business, and it, it, was, it, was, it was a mess. I, I, I mean, even if I wanted to say something encouraging or to tell him what to do, I didn't know what it was. And so I get a phone call, and he's like, hey, I need to talk to you. Something's happened. I really need I'm like, oh, brother. Whenever this dude says something's happened, I'm like, show it with my crash helmet on. And so I meet with him. He's like, yeah, I just went away. He went away on this retreat. He came back from this retreat, and he said, I've lost my job. I said, well, what happened? And he said, um, he said, they called me in, and they fired me. And then they falsely accused me of stealing. And I said, dude. You know, and that, I hate bullies. Like, I hate bullies. Bullies is one of my biggies. You know, it's one of the things. I'm like, well, are you suing them? What do you, you know, I'm like, the exact wrong response from your pastor, right? We'll get those mothers. We'll show them. I'm calling Ed McCarthy. You know, I'm like, I got a list of, you know, and I'm thinking revenge, and that's not going to happen. We're not going to let, you know. And he's like, no, dude. He's like, I didn't say a word. I said, I just was quiet. 
He said, this is what I've been praying for. And I just took it. I paid the fine, even though I was falsely accused. I said, what? He says, yeah. He says, I have a peace about this. He goes, I know it's what Jesus wants. He goes, this is what I was praying for. It wasn't what I, was, I thought it was going to be, but I just let it go. He goes, no one, he goes, he goes I can't tell anyone because of some of the, the way the business works and non-compete stuff. He goes, I can't even tell my family or anyone. He said, so I'm telling the world right now. If you're on the internet right now, but he can't tell anyone because of the different things. And he just has this peace about him, this rest and this confidence because he knows he's heard from Jesus. He knows it's the right thing. It doesn't make any sense to the world. It doesn't make any sense at all. It didn't make any sense to me. But when he told, he told me this, and he had this calm, this peacefulness, this restfulness about him, I thought, you know, and I'll, after he left, I was walking to go to the bathroom, and I felt like the Holy Spirit just kind of stopped me and said, that's what a disciple looks like. This is what it feels like. This is what life should be. Whenever on the outside, things are crazy, chaotic, out of control, don't make sense. Jesus comes and makes everything make sense. Requiring us to trust him, that he has a plan, that he is where joy is, that he is where peace is, that he is where life comes from, that he's the one. He is the perfect person, the perfect personality, the perfect relationship. And has the perfect answers for our imperfect life. The perfect solutions in situations and scenarios that don't have any solutions or any hope for us. That's why discipleship is so important. Because whenever we submit and we come to Christ and say, Lord, you know, this is my issue. This is what's going on. Show me your way for my life. And it's not without cost for this person. It's not without struggle and pain at times. The journey he's been on is, is an amazing one. But where he's come to is the place that when we hear that, we should be like, I want that. I want that rest. I want that peace. I want that joy. I want that, I want that in my life. I want to have a story like that. Well, that's the story of discipleship. That's the journey that Jesus is inviting us all on. And today I want to talk about what that looks like individually for each of us. You know, that our life with Jesus should, could be like that. Our life with Jesus should be one that's exciting, that causes us to sweat, that causes us to inspirate. That's a word I made up. It's Jesus inspiring us to the point of perspiration. Inspirate. This week... I woke up Saturday morning to the reality that Rick Warren is following me on, t- on Twitter, me and 17,000 other people. And so I tweeted that last night. I'm sure he'll be working it into his next book. So just know that happened with Antley Fowler first. Actually, Josh gave me some words on that. So props to Josh also. But inspirate. It's Jesus. That's what our relationship with Jesus should be like. It's him putting us, calling us, speaking us into situations that are exciting, And that are inspiring to the point where we're almost a little uncomfortable and we're starting to sweat about it a little bit. And if he doesn't show up, we're in big trouble. And today I want to talk about how do we position ourselves in relationship with Jesus to allow him to inspirate us. I'm not sure if it's a verb or if it's an adjective yet. I'm just going to, I'll be using it in all kinds of contexts today. Okay, and so I'll figure it out by the end. Or maybe I'll just add some endings to it to make it work. 
The scripture I want to use is this. This is uh, the triumphal entry uh, that Jesus that happened in Jesus' life a few weeks before, just before Easter, before he was crucified. It's appropriate. Easter's in two weeks. And so I want to read through this text with us and show you, first, how and why we can trust Jesus to speak to us individually, how he has the answers for each of our lives individually and perfectly. And then I want to talk about what does it look like then, the importance of what it looks like for us to follow him individually, purposefully. Okay, here we go. Here we go. This is um, Mark 11, 1 to 10, right there. If you have a Bible, you can get it out. This is in your Bible. It's in the second gospel in the New Testament. These exact words will be in there if your Bible's ESV. So we're not making it up. We believe the Bible. We love the Bible. All right, here we go. If you don't have a Bible, they're by the poles, and you can take one when you leave today. We'd love for you to have a Bible. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany... At the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing? What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said. And they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it. And he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road. And others spread leafy branches that they had cut off from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, which means save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Father, we pray this morning that you would speak to us through your word. Open our hearts, open our minds, our eyes to our hearts, and our ears to our hearts to hear the truth of your word. Amen. So in Tim Keller's new book, The King's Cross, there's a chapter that talks about this. And he says it's very interesting in this, in this passage what happens He says that um, Jesus brings together two characteristics that we normally would never see brought together. We have a king riding on a donkey. We have majesty mixed with meekness. And he says, you know, that's just not normal. You just wouldn't pick that animal to bring Jesus in on. You just wouldn't do that. That's just an odd thing. Two things, you know, you would just never see that back then. Or you'd never really see it today. And he says we have this picture, the king of kings, the miracle worker, the powerful, the authoritative, riding on a steed fit for a hobbit, basically, is what we have happening here. I mean, think about it. The creator of the universe could have ridden in on anything, and he's on an animal that is about the right size for a child or a hobbit. There's nothing wrong with hobbit-sized people. I'm just saying... But he says that the picture demonstrates that Jesus is a king, but he doesn't fit into the world's categories of kingship. In this picture, we see Jesus bringing together meekness and majesty, two things normally at the opposite ends of the personality spectrum he brings together. And and then uh, Keller goes on to say that Jonathan Edwards, which uh, is a 17th century dude, preacher, very smart, 
says that what Keller believes is one of the best sermons ever written and titled The Excellency of Christ. Um, Jonathan Edwards talks about this, bringing together these polar extremes and why it's so amazing and why it's so unique and so different. And I just want to read you a little bit of this excerpt. And in the, uh, in the sermon it's, um, that Edwards talks about, it's based on a revelation that John had, or a vision that John had in the book of Revelation 5, verse 5 and 6. I'm going to read that to you and then explain to you some of what caught Edward's attention. This week, I'm going to post on our website the sermon, The Excellency of Christ. I would highly, highly, highly recommend. It's only five pages typed. It's not long. It is an amazing work. And I would encourage everybody to read it. I'm just going to kind of give you a snapshot of some of what he says because it is the foundation for us being able to trust Jesus individually and with all of our life. And what, Ed, and what Edward says is this. He says, the lion, he, first I want to read uh, Revelation 5, 5, and 6. He says this. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. And so in this scripture, what Edwards ponders and what captured him was this reality that we have on one side, the Lion of Judah, this powerful king that is dominant in presence, that is Dominant in voice and appearance and strong, as strong can be. But on the other side, we have this picture of sacrifice, this picture of brokenness, this picture of food and clothing being given, our very basic needs being met. And as Edward thinks about it and he writes about it, we see these divert, what he says are these diverse excellencies of both wonderfully meeting in the person of Jesus Christ. That there's a connection made unlike in any other person that can be made in Jesus. And he goes on in his sermon to talk about the infinite majesty of Jesus on one side and then the complete humility of Jesus on another. The perfect justice of Jesus on one side and then the boundless grace of Jesus on the other. The absolute sovereignty of God through Jesus Christ on one side and then his utter submission on the other. His ability to be totally self-sufficient. The king of the universe knows everything, is everything. From beginning to end, the Alpha and the Omega. That's how he's described on one side of his personality and of who he is. And then utter dependence and trust and obedience to the Father on the other. It's crazy to think. When I think about that, it's, it's, it like makes me schizophrenic just to think about it. I mean, it's, it's just crazy to think the way that Jesus does that perfectly. I mean, and it results in a perfect person, a perfect personality. Someone who acted perfectly in every situation. Someone who had exactly the right answer, exactly the right response, exactly the right method of love to every single person that they came in contact with. I've also been studying the miracles of Jesus in the New Testament. And one of the things that kind of exemplifies this is the way Jesus would bring healing in the New Testament. You read, and as you read, there's no formula. There's no like magical words that he uses over and over again. He doesn't even do the same thing. And the author of the book that I was reading said the reason that is is because Jesus knows perfectly what each person needs to know and experience the love of his Father. 
And that the love, them experiencing his love, is always the primary mode and desire of Jesus Christ. And so the way that he brings the healing, he'll pull a leper aside. Why? Because he's been embarrassed his whole life. He lays his hands on another person. Why? Because they haven't been touched. He brings these in front of the Pharisees. Why? For a purpose that only God the Father knows. And we see this reality in Christ, this perfection in Christ. Exactly, he knows exactly when to be the lion, and he knows exactly when to be the lamb. A perfection that should excite us, inspire us, and give us a confidence in him as our savior in our life to trust, to fully trust with every circumstance and every situation that we find ourselves in. And the reason we should trust him, the reason we should trust his perfection is because he knows you. He knows your fallibility. He knows your brokenness. He knows your personality. He knows whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. He knows exactly who he created you to be. And he knows exactly how to complete you. He knows exactly how to make you whole. He knows exactly what to say, how to say it, what to do, and how to do it so that you can become who you've been created to be. You can become whole. You can become a disciple. You can become like Jesus. Having said that, I'll say this. How do I do that? I mean, how do I know? Great, Jesus is perfect. I'm not perfect. And you're right. We're not excused from knowing when to be the lion and when to be the lamb. We're not excused from knowing when to show grace and when to show justice. We're not excused from knowing when to be strong and when to be sacrificial. We're not excused from any of the things that Jesus calls us to. Each of us, as disciples of Jesus, are called to be like Jesus in every situation. That's a steep order. But that's what it means to be a disciple. It's to be like Jesus in every situation. So how do we know when to be the lion and when to be the lamb? And my major, my illustrious major in college was communication. Obviously, I'm very gifted in that. I got straight A's. No, I didn't. But anyway, it was, uh, it was a very easy major. I loved it. I loved it. All the Young Life leaders took this major because it involved like public speaking and involved things like non, nonverbal communication, argumentation. Laura hated that I took that course. Cross-cultural communication, all these things. One of the courses I took, though, a whole semester on, was called active listening. Don't worry, I'm not going to make you mirror anything back to me that I say to you today. <clears throat> I did that in a marriage course. It almost caused us to divorce. But anyway... But active listening was definitely a part of my major that caused me to inspirate greatly. When they teach you to actively listen, they're really teaching you to no longer be a passive listener or an unengaged listener. And I want to walk you through just like three basic things about active listening. And anybody that knows me knows that I'm like the worst active listener ever. If you're talking to me, I'm usually looking over your shoulder, checking the clock out, seeing who's walking in. Do I need to go talk to this person? I mean, I'm horrible. I have to totally engage in active listening because I have, you know, ADD, ADHD, and I like to watch a lot of HGTV. But anyway, the reality is I'm not good at this. And it's something that takes effort. It's something that is, you know, you have to be purposed about. And they teach you this in school. 
And they say the first part of being an active listener is comprehending. You have, to, you have to comprehend the message. You have to be together. The person who's communicating and the person who's receiving, you have to be agreeing that the words mean the same thing, the sounds and the vowels. And I mean, at a very micro level, the, the first step in, in, in listening well is comprehending the correct message, okay? Comprehension. The second thing is retaining. And this is the biggie. This is the one that we all mess up on. And there's reasons that we have a hard time retaining. Mainly, we have a hard time retaining things about 50% of what we hear. You listen, you hear, you, you retain about 50% of what you hear. That means the longer I speak, the less you remember. I'm just saying. I told that to Keith when he was reading scripture just a second ago. The more you speak, you try to say everything, you say nothing. All right? But anyway, so here's the reasons we do that. We cram. One of the reasons we do that is we cram. As we try to shove, we try to listen, 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 and it puts everything into our short-term memory, and we don't really remember it, and so it doesn't go into our long-term memory, and we try to remember it, and we don't. Cramming is one of the reasons. We, we're not motivated sometimes. If you're not motivated to listen, you're not going to remember anything. So you're not going to retain anything. If you think what's being said is a bunch of horse hockey, you know, you're not going to listen to that either. If you don't think it's valuable, you're not going to listen either. Okay? And then uh, another reason that you don't, that you, well, there's just a lot of different reasons. I'm not going to go, go into all of them. But the other one is that you're not paying attention. Anyway. But what they found is that once, if you use the information quickly, if you, if you use it or respond to it quickly, then there's a great chance that you're going to remember more of it. Now, I'm saying, I'm, I'm setting you up, okay, so remember all these things, okay? It's easy to remember. Instead of RCC, it's CRR. CRR. Comprehend, retain. And the third one is respond. And so what they say is, that's why you mirror stuff. And, and communication. And so responding is like, I'm talking to Keith. Hey, Keith, Keith, what are you doing? You hear what I'm saying? And he's nodding at me. That's him responding. He can't start talking because then our role switch all the, you know, then all of a sudden I'm active listening. So you don't do that. Yeah. So you say like, yeah, uh-huh. What? Yeah. Uh, yeah. All those things are you responding to the stimulation you're getting, which helps you remember what's being said. That's called active listening. Okay. And none of us are good at it. We have to work on it. We have to, we have to develop a, an affinity for it. We have to practice it. We have to just know that we're going to get better and better as time goes on. But initially, we're not good listeners because we're selfish. And while someone's speaking to us, usually we're thinking about what we're going to say, especially in conflict. And this is the same thing when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus. When it comes to understanding what Jesus has for us, how do you think we're going to know what God has for us? By active listening, right? By listening. There's no, way, there's no other way. God, how are we going to know what God wants for us to do? How did the disciples know to go get a donkey? It's because they were listening to Jesus. And so with us, active prayer is the same way. You see, if I told you, hey, the way that you are a disciple and the way that you know to do and to say what Jesus has for you to do and to say is through prayer. Immediately, because you're selfish and because you've got a jacked up life, you Jump in to Jesus with a whole bunch of, I need a, I got a, would you, please a, give me this a, right now a. And we start asking him for stuff. And we start talking, 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 talking. You know what the number one reason that people don't listen well is? Talking. Talking is the opposite of listening. And when it comes to actively praying and knowing what God has for us, we have to zip it. We have to learn to listen. We have to learn to hear the Spirit. We have to learn. We have to be quiet so that we can understand what God has for us. It's called active prayer. And again, it's not until we do this that we'll be able to be inspired by God. 
It's no other way. This is the only way. Even if it's opening the word of God, you can open the word of God, read, 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 all the time. What's happening in your mind? You're racing. You're not thinking. You're all over the map, right? Because you're not being active and you're listening to the spirit while you're in the word. Or in prayer ministry, it's the same thing. You're thinking, come Holy Spirit, and people are praying over you. You hear words or whatever, and you're thinking, oh, I can go to Jimmy John's and get that sub number two, that roast beef one. I like the roast beef one. Or whatever. And someone's like, the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, and you're going to forget it just like you do whenever you're talking to someone. I mean, just think of the, I thought about an example of this, and someone reminded me of this. Uh, I remember this from seminary. They said, you know, that uh, think about the Lord's Prayer. A lot of us, when it comes to the Lord's Prayer, we skip the whole first part. We start right, right at the second piece. Give me my daily bread. Give me this. Give me food. Give me my, forgive my debts. Lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. And we ask, we ask, and we ask. Instead of taking the prayer for how God set it up to be an example for us to live life and to understand what it means to pray actively with God. And again, the prayer is, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The first part of the prayer is about worship, adoration, aligning ourselves with his desire, understanding that our purpose and function on earth has everything to do with his kingdom and not ours. So that we have the right perspective to lay before him what our needs are. But we don't do that, do we? Whenever, if you think about your prayer life, if you think about, don't you think, maybe you're not, you don't pray a lot. Think about the times when you do pray. When you pray, what do you, what, what causes you to really pray? When you get, you need something. Maybe, maybe something really important. You have a child that's sick. Lord, I need you to do this. You need money. I need my rent. You need your car to be fixed. I need my car to get to work. Lord, please fix my car. Jesus, Please let me get a good grade on this test. Think about the times in your life when you really pray, when you really go before God. If you're like me, it's when I need, it's when I need something. But when we see Jesus modeling the Lord's prayer, he's showing us a pattern of prayer that begins with the kingdom, begins with God's desire, begins with God, his intention for us on this earth. A purpose. It's a purpose prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's first. Seeking the kingdom of God is first in the life of a disciple and understanding what your role is on the journey of discipleship. And everything that follows that in the prayer. God loves when we come to him and we ask him to heal our children. God loves when we come to him with our most basic needs in our life. But again, You can't listen to God when you're talking to God. You can't. You can't do it. And you'll forget things. And you won't know what God's purpose is for you. We have to learn to listen to God if we're going to know what he wants us to do and when he wants us to do it. And again, the reason that's important, remember the story I said, that, that dude's life at the beginning It happened because he was listening to what God wanted him to do and when God wanted him to do it. And that's what brought him peace. Is because when God did it, he knew it was Jesus. That's where the rest was. So let's go back to scripture here. And we see Jesus demonstrating this with the disciples. Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, 
Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. Now, if, that had to inspirate them major at that point and the disciples. I don't know who the, it doesn't say who the disciples were, but that had to freak them out a little bit, all right? Because they're basically going to, they're going to steal a, an animal. I mean, it, it, was, it, was a, it was a mode of transportation, and that's a, that's, you know, that's a felony, grand theft donkey. I mean, that's like grand theft auto. I mean, that is like serious crime, right? I don't know what the punishment would have been, but it would not have been good. But you're stealing a vehicle of transportation, right? And it was a donkey. I mean, come on, Jesus. Can't you do a little better than, I mean, if we're going to be running down the middle of the street with an animal, can't it be something scary? Like, can't it be another, I mean, another kind of animal? I mean, what if he asked you? What if he asked you? What if Jesus was here right now? He's like, hey, I'm getting ready to be crucified. Go, I'm going to have a parade for me down Main Street. And, and I need a car to ride in the parade, okay? So will you go get me a car to ride in the parade? What would you come back with? A sweet convertible, like a Ferrari or something, all right? And, and you know, like, Jesus is going to hook me up. I'm not going to get busted. You're driving out of the dealership. He's going to bring it right back. You know, you're like driving around, and you'd bring him, you'd bring him the Ferrari, the convertible, and he'd be like, yo, dude, I need the VW camper. I wanted you to bring me a VW camper, the least likely car that you would think of was the car that he wanted, and you wouldn't have known it because you didn't listen to him. And that's why Jesus had to tell the disciples. That's why the disciples, as a disciple, we have to go to Jesus to know what he wants. Only Jesus knows. Only Jesus knows what's best for our life, what's perfect for our life. He's the only one who knows what he needs for his kingdom to grow and to move forward. I mean, the disciples probably would have come back. If you would have said, hey, I need an animal. They're going to ride down the street. I need, you know, this is it, guys. I'm getting ready. I'm heading to the cross. It is go time. And he's been talking about it, and they still kind of didn't get it. But anyway, it's go time. He's impressing on them. They would come back with something like, you know, at least a war, like a big horse, like a white horse, you know, or like how co- a lion. There's lions. There was lions back then. How cool would it have been if we'd read in Scripture and Jesus rode down the street with a lion roar? I mean, that sounds like a king. You know, a Nubian ox. They had a Nubian ox. They had ox, the wild ox, they say in Scripture. Or a hippopotamus, they had those too. What if it would have been, and he rides down the street on a hippopotamus? That's in Job. The behemoth, they think, was a hippopotamus. A Nubian ox, they cut off their horns. That's where the shofars come from. But no, Jesus knows they would have come back with some jacked up wrong animal. He'd be like, guys, seriously? Seriously? You want me to ride on a lion? Who's going to come out and throw branches near a lion? Nobody. But that's not the reason that Jesus picked a donkey. That's not the reason. The reason is because Jesus knew perfectly, exactly what his father wanted him to ride. Jesus knew perfectly and exactly because it was prophesied. In Zechariah 9.9 it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. It's a prophecy about shout, shout. This is what's going to happen. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey, Ezekiel 9.9. You see, Jesus always and only did exactly what the Father told him to do. 
He's the only one in the history of the world that was able to do it perfectly. He's the only one. In John 5, 19, it says, Jesus gave them the answer, very, 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 true, very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. We, like Jesus, need to do what the father wants us to do. We, like Jesus, are called to be lions and to be lambs. And that can only happen when we allow Jesus to lead us. We allow Jesus to speak to us exactly what the Father desires for us. And again, CRR, comprehend. When you feel like Jesus says something to you, the first and most important thing is to weigh it against the word of God. Is it consistent with scripture? Share the people. Also, share it with people in your community. We're a church, we're a family, we're a body. The gifts exist, our lives exist for the purpose of the kingdom within the body of Christ, to grow the body of Christ. You feel like the Lord said something to you? Share it with people, talk about it, weigh against scripture. Make sure you're comprehending the message correctly. That's the first C. Second thing, retain it. You know, people think, well, if it's the word of the Lord, I won't forget it. Wrong. The disciples forgot stuff all the time. The nation of Israel forgot stuff all the time. They would see like big miracles, like craziness, and they would forget. And God would constantly be telling them, build this stone, you know, something, 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 so that you will remember what happened here. And I just did a quick research thing in Romans, Corinthians 1 and 2, 2 Timothy. We see Paul telling the different people he's writing to you, I write to remind you of the ways of Christ. I write to remind you because of the gospel. I write to remind you, to remind himself that Christ loves you. I mean, all through the New Testament letters, we see Paul writing. It's at the beginning of each of the books. I'm writing to remind you. I'm writing to remind you. Why would he have to remind them if they don't ever forget anything? If the, if the word of God, you just don't, you remember it always. No. Even Jesus tells us in John 14, verse 26, but I'm going to send a helper, guys. It's better for me to leave. But guess what? I'm going to send a helper. And guess, this is what the whole, and his name's the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. He's going to teach us all things. That's the word. He's going to teach us all things in the word, but he's going to remind us of everything I've said to you because we forget. So we need, when we come to Jesus, when we come to pray, we need to come with expectation. We need to come with motivation. We need to come actively listening, not hearing with our ears, but hearing with our hearts. And again, when Jesus speaks, it's not like I'm speaking to you now. It's just not like that. It's not like that for me at least. It's usually very gentle, very quiet, and I have to pay really good attention. I have to pay attention or I'm going to miss it. And the world gets in the way, and Jesus tells us, go away. Get away because the world's going to distract you. But it's difficult. I'm not saying this is easy. It's difficult. But the more we try it, the more we do it, the better we hear. And everyone gets to play this game. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But everyone can do this. And so, so when we hear a word, what do we do? How do we respond? Write it down. Write it down. I know some of you are like, dude, I ain't no journal. I'm not going to write that down. That's what girls do. They got journals and stuff. No. All right. I'm just saying. It doesn't have to be all flowery or whatever. Just write it down because you're going to forget it. You know? You're going to forget it. You will forget it. It just is going to happen to all of us. You're not that smart. I promise. Okay? 
So write it down. Keep something by your bed. If you're a dreamer, keep, keep a, a spiral notebook by your bed. I just met with someone who met with me and they said, oh, I found this journal from 2005 for a word I had for you. Uh, 2005. They write everything down, everything. What can it hurt? You got an iPhone? Ding, 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 ding. You write it on your iPhone. Yeah, whatever. Send an email to yourself, but write it down so that you can remember because you will forget. That's how we respond when we get a word. I would tell you, act, actively respond. Okay, that's another AR and it didn't fit my thing. But that's the thing you can do. Respond by writing it down. And I know you're thinking, really, Antley? Can I really hear from God? I've done this before. I've tried this before. And I'm that person that just doesn't hear. This is my answer. I know it's tough. I know some of you aren't wired this way. Some of you, this is really tough to even believe that God would speak to you. I was listening to Evan Almighty last night. And there's that, that scene in there. I was driving back from a wedding. I couldn't hear it. There's that scene in there where the dude's like, who told you to build the ark? He's like, God did. God speaks to you? Yeah, and I speak back. And you speak back to him? I mean, it's just like, it's crazy to think that God could speak to us. It's hard to believe that that's true. But not only is it true, it is necessary It's necessary for you to be who God's called you to be and do what God's called you to do. It is so important that you go after this and that you try it. And again, you might be thinking, I know, I've been where you are. You might be thinking, Antley, my life is too messed up. You're right. Antley, I I have too much baggage. I can't, I'll never be able to do this. You're right. You are broken. You are messed up. Your ears are shut at times. You are busy. You do have a hard time doing this. It's hard to set time aside. You're not a journaler. You're not a dreamer. All of those excuses. That's okay. You know why it's okay? Because Jesus is the perfect person. He he can do it. He knows your deficiencies. He died for them. He knows what you can't do. And he died on a cross so that he could make you perfect, so that he could complete you. None of us can do this. None of us can do this. But Jesus has made a way. You made a way when there was none. You made, he's made a way for each of us to play, for each of us to participate. And it cost him his life. It begins by believing that Jesus is perfect in every way. In all the ways that you're imperfect, he completes you. It begins by coming to Jesus and saying, Lord, show me, speak to me, complete me. I know I'm messed up, but I want to be about your kingdom. So let's stand and create opportunity for God to do that in our life.